Welcome to the Teacher Squad podcast, episode two. I'm Heather Wright. And I'm Jane Constine. This week, I'm going to be talking about Instagram perfect displays. And I'll be chatting about back to work routines. We've got a great interview with Andrew Taylor, all about ECTs. And what about sponges at PTA Fates? What's that all about? (laughs) Shall we get straight to it? Yeah, great. So, Jane, shall we get started with some gratitude? Do you think you've um, you've got the vibe of it now? You're ready to, you know? Give it a go. I'll give it a go. I'll try not to moan. Come on, then. You go first. Actually, warm me up. Oh, sure. Okay. Oh, no, it, no, I, come on, I'll give it a go. Look, I'm going to go gonna, on, go on. I can do this. It's, yeah, okay. My glimmer little shimmer is actually I am so goddamn grateful that we're back at school, we're back at work because... <laughs> I love I love the way I can manipulate this into a moan. Um, <laughs> That's not the idea, Jane. Keep it positive. <laughs> well, I love the rhythm of work. Um, I love back to school, back to uni, back to routine. And this is a bit of a, a mum dump because the school holidays are just so emotionally exhausting. I feel like I'm pulled from pillar to post and like there's all this mum guilt like hashtag making memories and I'm like hashtag (laughs) making arguments hashtag tension that's that's my house sometimes and and just (laughs) the amount of washing up and yes I've got a dishwasher but like this seems to be washing up as well and uh just like the constant meals and actually I really love going back to work and like you do obviously are anxious in the run-up to it but once you're in the rhythm of it um I actually get a big kick out of laying my clothes out the night before and then you know all the little weird and kooky things I'm going to do in the morning because I'm going to have some collagen tablets because I'm trying to grow my hair like this is this is a visual thing this is what you have got in YouTube see my real hair in my non-work mode hair party hair wild hair it's curly and I've got naturally curly hair so it doesn't grow down it grows out it's crazy but you know um and actually I love looking at my work diary seeing what's coming up my list my ticks my new stationery packing my work bag I actually love it and uh, that just sounds like I don't like my children (laughs) (laughs) oh no I can hear you genuine joy there Jane joyful Jane yeah, I am. I am. I'm losing my voice. This is great for a podcast. You know, a bit of laryngitis in the mix. Oh, well. It's a sexy You've got your husky. Hair and your sexy <laughs> voice. <laughs> Go on, babe. I, I know you're, you, you're better at this. I, I, I'll, I'll get you being tragic and moody, though. I will. I'll, I'll get you there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well practiced. I'm well practiced. I'm going to go for two again, but I'm going to be quick with the first one. I'm grateful that people actually tuned in and listened to episode one of the Teacher Squad podcast. How exciting! Yeah, that's lovely. And we even had some people joining in with gratitude. So, Mark Harrington on Instagram, you'll like this, Jane, said, My class, my new class, are a breath of fresh air. How nice is that? Well, it's better than uh, the wind derailing that we were worrying about, weren't it? You know, so, yeah, that is lovely. It is lovely to have that class, isn't it? That class. And you, you can have that class, but that class is gorgeous, isn't it? Oh, it's nice, isn't it? Getting to know all the characters and, and getting, yeah, I love that. So thank you for interacting with us. If people want to um, send us messages and join in the conversation, we love that. And then this is this is a gratitude Um I'm not sure how serious it is now, Jane, but I'm going to go with it because um, I was grateful for my who gives a crap delivery. (laughs) (laughs) Who gives a what? Who gives a crap? It's a 100% recycled toilet roll and, you know, we're super organised and we buy it in bulk. But 
we were coming to the end of our stash of toilet rolls. So, you know, when you've got like loads of toilet rolls in the house and you go all Andrex puppy and you're like, yeah, I can use loads. <laughs> no, no, no. We were at the other end of the spectrum where you're looking at it and going, no, just one sheet. And you become some kind of like toilet paper origami ninja. <laughs> and then literally as the last roll, was um about to be finished there was the delivery driver oh amazing with the massive box of beautiful eco-friendly toilet roll and it brought me some joy yeah well it is the little things they say heather and i'm not going to say any more jokes about that but we'll tell you this story of my youngest oscar he um uh, the reception teacher uh pulled me over for uh, a chat and he and said uh oh, can you just have a little word with Oscar or a little finding out? He's spending a lot of time in the toilet. Is everything okay? And I'm like, well, I don't know. He doesn't do that at home. Don't get it. What's going on? So I had a little chat with Oscar and I'm like, what? what is this all about? How come you're so long in the in the loo? And he said, well, <laughs> mum, you you taught me because we were his summer born boy. Do you know what I mean? And he, we had to do a lot of toilet habits and so we trained him to go to the loo and do three wipes and a wish and <laughs> he said he said he was in there so long because he didn't know what to wish for oh I mean he did a lot of pooing obviously and he'd like running out of things <laughs> he had all the he had the lego set he wanted and a wish I wonder where you got that from did you have a stamper for him as well? <laughs> oh, God. Feedback in the bathroom. Yeah, all of that jazz. Oh. Maybe we should move on from gratitude, Jane. Yeah. Let's go to our sentences. Uh, yeah. You can go first on this one. What's okay. your sentence for the week, Jane? Can you sum it up? I'll try. Okay, it's this. And um, it, it just... It feels like there's still for parents and families like this residue of, of of trauma from like exam season and just pressure on kids, I suppose. And so my sentence is this. In school, they teach you a lesson and give you a test. But the real world gives you a test and teaches you a lesson. And right. And even though you know, the high stake exams and particularly A-levels are kind of, you know, like the end of the teaching journey is kind of over. I think there's still a lot of hurt around and I think it's been really hard for lots of people and it's been actually really brutal, you know, because on a national level in England, we've kind of gone back to pre-pandemic level and it's like I've got a niece and a neighbour and, and a, a friend of one of the kids who you know, like I'm meeting them at events now and it's like down the line and there's kind of still struggling and haven't quite got on the apprenticeship or, you know, um, there was a, a, a one of the girls who she got an A star and an A and a B and she wanted to go to medical school, but she was two marks off an A and then she got it remarked and it got bumped up by one mark and then she still ah. didn't get in. And I just... Honestly, you could just, it's really sad. And you just think, you want to go, you're amazing. You're a, a brainiac. You've just done so well. But it's just, I think she was just hanging on for that remark. And it's, she's like, I've been hurt twice. I'm like, yeah. oh, it's just like broke my heart a bit. And then um, there's another lad who, you know, lives down the street. He's just such, he like walks everybody's dogs. He's just gorgeous. And, um, but he's not getting paid for it. He's just been a really lovely yeah. lad, really nice kid. And uh, he got predicted an A and, it, and he got nowhere near. And it's just, it's tough. And, and you know, the pathways to apprenticeships, I, I do think it's really muddy. We need like a, like UCAS local apprenticeship documents of like, everything that's on offer in your area and it's not there and it's just like well you work it out and it's just like you know there's not a proper database and um yeah I just I just think it's 
And I think it's also within that A-level messaging, it's like we we know that the South did loads better than the North. And there's this like this this north-south divide and um disadvantage uh students. Um yeah, they are 73% more likely to go to university than in 2010. But there's still, for me, so much that we've got to do with the north-south divide and opportunities. And and then, I don't know, I just thought it was interesting, I was reading about this, that, uh, that 3,820 kids got three A-stars. Um, and but that the breakdown of that in gender kind of wise um girls are doing better than boys with fifty five percent of them getting those three a stars I mean there's just some incredible kids out there isn't there and um and then there's my niece who didn't make it, but she's got a job at Weatherspoons. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, love her and the tears and the cuddles. But she's just going to be the most amazing human being. So it's just, I think families are still on the struggle bus with that, I suppose, Heather. And um, and then it's actually a lot of these children still need a lot of support. You know, that back to uni, back to college, an apprenticeship. It's like, actually, some people are still trying to work it all out, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, how do you think we should be supporting that journey kind of earlier on do you do you think that that um in primaries we talk about apprenticeships i know i know that they're not in the position to make those choices for the rest of their life Mm -hmm. do you think we should be kind of talking more about those options further down yeah i think we should and just like the wealth of jobs we can be very stereotypical and very narrow um you know about you know one of uh you know there's just so many fabulous jobs you know you know you can design ice creams and ice lollies you know it's just like there is that's like one out of thousands thousands and thousands and I just think sometimes we are a bit narrow in how we talk about adulting you know um, yeah, and, and obviously in primary, kids they just want to be famous and footballers, and I think we need to have that conversation because like the percent, what's the percentage of that then? You know that you're going to be famous and a footballer. It, it, you know we need to just open their eyes to the breadth of options. Um, Definitely, I think we're really old fashioned and we're kind of linear and going, and you're going to make this choice, you're going to jump through this hoop, and then for the rest of your life, you're going to have this job. And it's just not the way, is it? No, especially if you're a teacher, you bugger off after five years. That's what the data says. <laughs> <laughs> How do we get out? <laughs> it's not a topic of conversation on this podcast. We no. want to keep you in. Retention. Yes. Keep yeah, the we, best ones. Yeah. Oh, of course. We we really do want to keep everybody. And and it's that always breaks my heart. So when you go back to a school and, you know, if I go on a school visit and like, you know, like they've gone to Tesco's. Like I, I actually get my uh, bus measured at M&S by an ex-teacher. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. Of course you do. <laughs> she, yeah, but we do. She was good. She left. Oh, dear. Uh, your sentence, Heather. Can you sum it up? Can you do better than me? Or is it a ramble? I hope, I hope you can sum it up. It's always going to be a ramble, but I've summed it up. I've Good summed girl. it up. So my Good sentence girl. this week is done is better than perfect. Mm, I think it. I'm speaking to myself a little bit as well. But it's kind of around... Um, there's loads of posts at the moment about beautiful Instagram-ready whether they're reading corners or this display or that display. And I kind of just need to balance out my positivity as well, Jane. I don't want you to keep suggesting that I'm toxic. (laughs) I can be level as well. And I know, you know, that some people will be looking at those posts and thinking, oh, I can't do mine as good as that. There's no way that mine is going to be that great. And actually, you know, doesn't need to be that great does it? I mean, we've really got to stop comparing ourselves. I think as teachers, we're kind of, 
I don't know, nurtured into that mindset of comparing constantly because we're locked out. There's book looks, there's learning walks, there's drop-ins, there's lesson observations and, you know, all, all those things. And we kind of get in that mindset of of looking for the negative. And it's it's conditioning, really. What we actually need to do is teach ourselves to, to look for the positives in, in what we've achieved what we've succeeded the little things and that spurs us on to go do you know what I'm just gonna have a crack I'm gonna get that display up and it's better that it's up and kind of an eight and a half out of ten than a ten out of ten you know the kids are going to benefit from it and it's it's going to do its job isn't it Absolutely. have you ever noticed Jane? sorry yeah. Yeah. have you ever noticed that when you start thinking about buying something like back when you were having your babies and it was like prams or when you're looking for a new car and suddenly you just spot those things all over the place mm, you've yeah. experienced that haven't you yeah, yeah. it's got a name yeah it's called frequency illusion phenomenon how good's that oh i thought you're gonna say it's called a bugaboo or something like you're gonna get... <laughs> <laughs> you spot them everywhere in the color you didn't choose <laughs> oh that's fascinating it's fascinating isn't it and it's about your brain it's that conditioning and if you keep if you have made your brain aware of that and you're looking out for it you start spotting it so it's the same with positives and negatives you can take yourself on a downward spiral if you keep thinking oh well I didn't do that corner very well or I should have put a better word on there or I didn't finish that marking pile you start seeking out those negatives um and actually what we need to train ourselves to do is to take ourselves on an upward spiral and say, well, do you know what? I did actually teach that lesson very well. I did help out a colleague. Um, do you know what? That's my first attempt and that display looks absolutely brilliant. We've got to seek out those positives and the more that we do it, yeah. the better we'll become at it. My, uh, this is my positive thing. I can see my lovely present that... Head bought me. That's so lovely. And then the the guilt that I haven't bought you one back, but hey, it was lovely to have it. <laughs> oh, That's how sp- it works in in a marriage, isn't it, Jay? Yeah. You know, sometimes you're the giver, sometimes you're the receiver. <laughs> <laughs> it's too many jokes. Moving on quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Can I give some tips then? Like if you're Go thinking on. about doing doing displays, then I'm a bit of a procrastination queen. I don't know yeah. about you, but yeah. I will wait. So it's it's a bit of self-awareness, isn't it? And thinking, what what can I do to help myself get over it? And yeah. like whether it's a deadline or whether it's saying to another colleague, I'm thinking of doing this display. Um, I know I'm not going to get my bum into gear unless I, I do something about it. Can you come and mark in my room and I'll put the display up whilst you're there? Yeah, Even yeah. little tricks like that can get you can get you going. And maybe thinking about manageable displays. I've seen lots of pictures of displays that maybe like those book ones where there's lots to change yeah. and keep up to date. And yeah. and is that realistic? You know, yeah. what for, for the outlay of energy is that going yeah. to impact on the children? So thinking about, well, maybe I'll just use the photocopy book covers as as a border and then yeah. I'll get the kids as pupil librarians to update to update the display. I think um Oh, that's de- definitely that, you know, getting them interacting with it, you know, those instant kind of uh book reviews on, you know, little post-its. Yeah, definitely, you know, that sort of living breathing stuff that's you know that's making meaning yeah definitely yeah I agree with that it's a good one it'd be good if people are listening and they've got some uh top tips especially because our guest today is linked to early careers teachers if you've got some tips on kind of you know getting stuff done not worrying about how perfect it's going to be yeah do yeah. get in touch and, and let us know yeah definitely uh, guests. did yes. you have something to add Jane what's that did, Did you I? have something to add? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just saying, you know, with you know, I was talking earlier about, you know, uh, uh, you know, you get life gives you a test and teaches you a lesson, and it kind of interlinks with what you're saying about uh, kind of, you know, if you wait for it to be perfect, you'll always just be beating yourself up. But I was um, I was seventeen, and it was when I was seventeen, I realised. Uh, 
well, I went out on the Raz, went out on the absolute lash and uh, woke up on Sunday with a really bad hangover and I was completely on the struggle bus and my mum called me downstairs and, you know, like you, everyone knows mum tones, all the compendium of mum tones and she was, and um, she sat me down to say that um, the family, the family had rang her yesterday to say um, that I hadn't turned up to do babysitting job. Oh. And uh, and uh, her exact words, I'm not angry, Jane. I'm oh. just disappointed. Oh. And I know. And uh, I was so, felt so guilt-ridden and embarrassed. And obviously I was hungover and you can't really regulate your emotions very well. And... Um, but it was just that recognition that, like, I was at 17, I was trying to wear this kind of spontaneous role with it, you know, uh, impromptu kind of creative persona. And I just had to admit at 17, I needed a, just a boring diary. And I, and I just think that if you're an ECT or even if you're somebody who's just trying to be a bit bohemian and out there, like, Soz, you need a diary. You just need to... Get it down so that you know when deadlines are coming. Um, and I mean, you, I mean, the deadline's coming, it's in 17 minutes. Heather. <laughs> <laughs> that is totally me. And I have, I've kind of raged against the diary, but I live and breathe by my diary now. I yeah. absolutely can't function without it and kind of do, I'll put the deadline in and then go like a few pages back and say, right, you need to do that then to make sure that that happens. Yeah. Just a bit of organisation helps, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. It really does. So you have been hinting here that we've got um, a really exciting guest on the way. Um, we certainly have. And Shall uh, tell you a bit about him? Yeah, will you? Will you? So his name's Andrew Taylor, but uh, we're going to call him Andy. Because we're friends on here, aren't we? Yeah, we are. And he is a senior lecturer in primary education and has loads of experience as a class teacher and senior leader and lots of experience as an ECT mentor. So he's written loads of blogs and articles and things like that. Um, But he's well known on Twitter. I'm going to read you his handle. It's at Mr. T's underscore NQT's. And he provides loads of advice and support for early career teachers. And he's written this book. I'm going to remember this week, Jane. I know we are a podcast and it's audio. For those who are watching, you can see it. But it's called You Got This. And it's thriving as an early career teacher with Mr. T. So thanks, Bloomsbury, for providing us with some copies. I think we've got some extra to give away. We need to think of a competition, Jay. Yeah, don't worry. We've got that in hand. We'll announce that down the line. Uh, Yeah, so I can't wait to meet Mr. T. Um, When when I was reading his book, it really struck me that um, it's almost like a theme uh, running through it that um, he loved having a, I don't know if love is the right word, but he seems to have a lot of sponges chucked at him at PTA events. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, you must have had the most amount of sponges chucked at you. And and then I was thinking, I I want to talk to him because I want to see has he been bullied? Is he all right? Do you know what I mean? Ah, oh, I'm sure he's fine. But we can talk it through, Jane. We can talk it through with him. <laughs> Hi, Andy. Welcome to the Teacher Squad podcast. Hi, both. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It's a real pleasure to be here. So thank you. Well, you say that now. Wait till the end. <laughs> <laughs> We'll, we'll be kind to you. Can I warm you up That's with good. a few fun questions, first of all? Go for it. I'm going to take you to the staff room, first of all. I feel like this might be a, a question that we do every week, Jane. So you're making your morning brew. I don't know whether you're a tea drinker or a coffee drinker. But it don't matter for this question. On the oh. choice of biscuits, we've got some hobnobs. They're just plain hobnobs, actually. They're not chocolate oh. covered. And we've got some custard creams. What are you going to go for? To take outside, it's going to be a custard cream, absolutely every day of the week. Oh, custard cream! I know you're a dunker. Actually, no. Yeah, no, I can't do that. 
I'm a kind of, I, I like to pick the biscuit apart. It's a weird thing, you know, when you kind of break the biscuit apart into the two kind of slices, so you take the top off and then eat those. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure we could do some psychological analysis with this. Absolutely. With this. Yeah, Maybe we should I move on. <laughs> so what, what about your desk? Let me take you to your classroom now. If I look at your desk, is it a messy desk or a tidy desk? It is tidy, although there will be hidden away either in a cupboard or in a drawer, just a little dumping place where I can put everything that I need to get to at some point, but just to clean the kind of that space clear from my work here, from my working in. Oh, I'm so envious of those tidy desk people. <laughs> it's never happened. I've tried. I've tried. Yeah. There are there are there are a couple of times in the you know during the week and during the terms where it's harder to keep it tidy, but I do always try because it just yeah. You're like, you leave at the end of the day, nice tidy desk when you out walk in the next morning. It just feels like you're ready for it then. Yeah, I, I like agree that. with that. I, I love do. that. I, I, I'm just imagining this drawer. I hope it's got a bit of a, a ball of blue tack in it. And a, Absolutely. A... It's two random staples that don't fit any stapler that I have. You know, one of those. Oh, balls. yeah. Oh, absolutely. I love it. <laughs> one more uh, question to warm you up. Go oh, on, it's then. PPA. It's PPA. As someone's yes. covering your class, what are you going to leave them? Oh, what would I leave them? Maybe your least favourite. He's going to leave the music, I think. Did you say music? I did say music. <laughs> I would leave music as well. I, I'm always with them, but I, am, I I can't hold a note for uh, for Toffee. So, you know, that's what I would pass, willingly pass over to somebody else. Jane is with you. I am so <laughs> with you. You and me. You and me are not going to be leading music, put it that way. <laughs> Definitely not. Let's go for some proper questions, Jane. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was I was just um noticing in your book, uh, Andy, there's a lot of um moments where at PTA events you've had uh, sponges chucked at you. And I just yes. wondered why? What? <laughs> what are you okay? Have you been bullied? Well, what's going on? Like, what? I'm, I'm not psychologically not psychologically scarred by these events. We're okay. We're, we're all right. I don't need counselling afterwards. It's a great money spinner, and I think that's the that's the biggest thing. It's great, great uh, kind of drawing for the um, for the PTA for the parents. You know, yeah. kids. I've offered somebody's offered to pay twenty quid just to tip the bucket over my head. So you know, <laughs> great way of getting money for the uh, for the school. And um, in terms of kind of parent relationships, I mean, um, you know, in building parent relationships, you know, things like that really matter to parents, don't they? I mean, um, because parents can be tricky, can't they? They can. I think it gives you the opportunity to see you as a human, as much as kind of as a teacher. Yeah. I found, you know, in the years I've, I've, I've taught for in primary schools, it's often, you know, some parents have their own kind of hang-ups about school and they bring a lot of that to the school door. They remember what their teachers and their experiences are like. And some, some find it really hard to form that relationship. But it is, and I always say, advocate to anybody I talk to, you know, get out there first, you know, go and say, hello, morning, really pleased to meet you. I'm looking forward to teaching your child this year. And You're you know, lying, Auntie. <laughs> Absolutely, because it, it does. It just shows that you've got that approachability, and that you know they won't. Yeah. Then they come and they will talk to you, and they will you know treat you well and kind of with it and give you that respect. Particularly as an ECT, when you're an unknown quantity, they will want to come out over and check you out, and they will kind of scan you up and down, and they think, hmm, "Who is this yeah. person I'm now leaving my child with?" So it's important to kind of get ahead of the curve, really, and always try and find those opportunities to celebrate the real positives. Yeah. the pupils as well because there will be those parents that have maybe they often most conversations they have with their class teacher may have been very focused around things that haven't gone so well and you know when they see a teacher walking towards them over the playground they're like oh no what's he done today yeah probably with a very gender specific one there but you know it doesn't have yeah. to be the boys that, uh, that parents, yeah. parents that have that moment but um it, yeah it's about being able to walk over and say ah oh, brilliant day today really pleased to try really hard this really pleased with them looking forward to seeing you in the morning you know have a lovely evening and it just lets you know that you're going to celebrate those positives as well as when things aren't going quite so well I love that I love that that actually you can like you walk out and seek out and praise you know that's that's lovely um uh, and it's hard isn't it because we talk a lot about like an open door policy but that's even more 
proactive, isn't it? It's like an it's like a an open door walk through and beyond and a reaching out. Uh, you know, the, the true building of bridges. I love that. And uh, yeah, really excellent. No, no, and it's, I think particularly for older children, that can be trickier as well because it's often when they get to year five, six or secondary, you know, they, the parents just aren't anywhere. You know, they don't bring them to school. They may not see them at the door. So getting out there or ringing home and really celebrating those positives really make a huge difference. Those relationships with parents really do. Yeah, great, great advice. Um, the other thing I noticed um, in your book, which I just thought was so helpful, was um, this recognition that, you know, when you want to be a strong, dynamic, whole-class teacher, that, um, you know, you can be really attracted to, in terms of class layout, like the horseshoe. But then you kind of um, wrote down kind of another alternative, which I just thought, can you tell everybody about that other alternative because that really struck me um how it was explained so clearly um about the owl shapes in the classroom yeah i love that yeah yeah so it's, it's kind of like little almost like little mini horseshoes so you've still got that space where pupils can work collaboratively so they can talk to each other they've got that kind of that connectedness but equally as a teacher it's really easy to get in and talk to them as well and be able to support them with their work you can still usually get it so that every child can see you if you're at the front teaching or they can see the whiteboard or the different resources that you may have available to them in the classroom. But it can work really, really well. But having in those smaller kind of more kind of intimate groups right, and still allowing for that kind of collaborative way of working rather than yeah. squares where occasionally you may end up with, you know, people to their backs to the room or back to the board and having to turn around or shuffle their chairs around when they're working at the tables. I found it worked really, really well. It's something that, kind of I evolved over time and just found it really worked for me although sometimes the classroom layouts don't the actual structure and the kind of plat floor plan of the classroom don't always allow you to kind of fit all those in as much as you want to and have a clear pathway through which is really important to consider but yeah I found it really really helpful well that is really helpful well. and I think we we you know it's um you know it's it's almost like the answer away from Rose or the horseshoe. It's like yeah. for me, for somebody because I haven't got a practical bone in my body for somebody to say, look, it's the L. It was always the L. They can still see you at the front, but you can still move. Oh, that was just it's so small. It's like most things in life. It's so yeah. obvious now you say it, but it's just. <laughs> It's what I needed when I was an ECT. You know? I was going to say when you when you're an ECT, actually, what you need is mm-hmm. those real pithy bits of practical advice from people who have lived and breathed it, learned through their mistakes, uh, and that that's what the book kind of gives, doesn't it? Lots of lots of practical things that you can dip into yeah. and and really use in your classroom the next day. Yeah, and that's something that I've always done um, with when I started the Twitter account. It has always been those really practical things. And as you said, you know, experience working with uh, well, NQTs and ECTs. And, it's the, you know, you often get the similar sort of questions and the sort of patterns of things. It's trying to, you know, just get those tips out there, those ideas, those real, like you say, real practical strategies people can do to help kind of support them with their practices they're going through. Yeah, love that. Um, the chapter that really caught my attention though was the um chapter about um expectations um linked to behavior and um you spend some time talking about um glasses work from 1997 like the deadly habits you know uh, what are some of the deadly habits that destroy kind of positive relationships with children I think it's, yeah, so glasses work, you, you talked about, those, like you said, there's seven deadly and seven caring habits. And, I, th- you know, I always caveat it whenever I talk to people about this, that, you know, we aim to be in the caring habits the majority of the time, but you will slip into those, you know, those deadly habits occasionally. Yeah, um, like, na- and, and the, the things like nagging, aren't they? Like nagging, like, oh my goodness, this is like... It, this is like my marriage habits, I think. Threatening, <laughs> nagging. <laughs> I love that. Um, it is, but you, you know, you do drift into those things as a teacher. You know, it's three o'clock on a Friday afternoon, you've had a tough week, and you just wish they'd remember to put a full stop at the end of a sentence. You do find yourself in that nagging sort of situation. Yeah. And the other thing that one of the other ones I talk about in the book is also that, that threatening. Yes. And, 
I've seen that so often with um, trainee teachers, ECTs, and even actually even people experience in their practice that when behaviour starts to escalate, particularly in there, you know, you can see the stress levels of the teacher rising. It's so easy to check out a threat. Like, if you don't stop that now, I'm going to be sending you to the head teacher. Or, you know, if you don't stop that now, your entire playtime's gone. Or, you know, we're going to put you in a cannon and fire you off to Mars. You know, we make <laughs> these kind of huge threats. But the thing you have to be really mindful of is you have to be able to carry out anything that you threaten and be willing to. So it's really important that, you know, you don't kind of go to that place. But equally, you know, nobody is perfect. And we will drop into those moments of time. But it is trying to aim for more those those, those caring side of things, you know, when you are, you know, accepting difference, you're negotiating, yeah. you're trying to build that understanding of the situation that that person is in. I think that's hugely important. And, um, you know, that building of that, that relationship that you've yeah. got with those people so you know actually this is a bit out of character or you know I can use these strategies to diffuse that because I know that pupil really really well and that makes a huge huge difference to be able to say look I can see you really find this tricky or you know you're feeling frustrated by this or you're feeling a bit angry what we need to do now is we need to find another way to express that or another way of moving that forward because you know your behavior at the moment is unacceptable and you know there's no issues with challenging behavior or as a teacher saying that that behavior is unacceptable, but we have that awareness that we still accept them as an individual and we want to support them. But what they're doing at that moment in time is not okay. Yeah, I uh, and I thought for an ECT, but actually a reminder for anybody in their career, what really struck me was we kind of know deep down as teachers that when we're dealing with behaviour, you know, we need to separate the pupil from the behaviour. But what really struck me in your book is that we're always uh, striving to keep the teacher-pupil relationship intact and positive. But the bit I loved was that we must, to keep that intact, we must separate us as the teacher from the punishment so it kind of goes a bit like this because you chose to hit someone it means that you will have to not I am going to punish you and I just thought it's almost the other half I don't think we do very well as teachers and that really sharpened it in my mind actually as I read it yeah um in that chapter was actually probably the chapter that I wrote the quickest and it's was the one of the one. chapters that I enjoyed writing. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed writing that one and it kind of flowed very easily because there are so many really key important bits and you write that sense of that this is what's going to happen now as a result of your behaviour and it's it's then that, you know, you will have to apologise yeah. or you will have to do this because it's, there's a natural consequence and I like to use the word consequences a lot and I advocate for that in, in the book as you probably noticed whenever talking yeah. to people because all behaviour has a natural consequence you know if children do go around you know, snatching things on people not sharing the equipment that they're using yeah. it's, they're less likely to have other children playing with them there's a natural consequence there and you know you can have them understand that their, their behaviour has a, a consequence in that respect yeah. rather than being something that's kind of externally imposed on them there is that that, look this is the consequence of this and actually you are going to have to apologize but also actually what you should do differently next time i think that's the bit that we have to support with it's you know yes we challenge the behavior but what should it look like instead what are we anticipating or what are we expecting from them to do differently next time when they're feeling that way or when that situation arises and I really love the advice about uh, photographic evidence in the classroom, you know, like really, you know, this is this is what it will look like, you know, when yes. we're doing a, a good job in, with this, you know, when you're making those choices linked to, you know, and, you know, children always making choices uh, all the time. And we as adults making choices all the time, but we've got a wireframe to navigate it. Yes. So that like the relationship is flourishing all the time. Um, yeah, it was great. You know, I love that the positive habits to uh, work into the the tricky stuff. Yeah, it's great. Can I move into the um, the relationship between you as ECT? Uh, mentor in the book there's lots of coaching moments which I really really liked um can you tell us about your approach to coaching what the benefits are you know what what does a good coaching setup really look like oh I love kind of being in that coaching situation I think as a 
you know, there'll be mentors out there or, you know, anybody out there that you will understand or that sense of sometimes you have to be a mentor and you have to have that bit of information that you need to, you know, share to have guide. But equally, being a coach is just great because you have that moment of you're helping them to achieve it for themselves. You're helping them to realise that moment of, okay, this is how it should look. And then there's there's that element of full ownership in in that. Um, So it is, it's about asking the right sort of questions for me. Okay, what do you think? How did that go today? What did you want to happen? What do you think you could have done differently to get to that kind of, that outcome? Or, you know, when this child responded in this way, how do you think you could have responded differently? And sometimes it's just those moments to reflect as well. But sometimes there is that element of kind of guiding as well. Okay, so let's kind of, if that situation fries again, let's work it through. What could we do differently? And so they've got a real kind of clear plan to moving forward in that way. And that's where sometimes we're teaching is we get so many, we work with 30 variables in a classroom. So many things can happen throughout the day, which makes the job brilliant and it's never boring, but we can't preempt everything. So it's that opportunity then just to reflect on how it's gone, being able to anticipate, okay, if that were to happen again, and let's be honest, you know, we've had the experience that happened once and never happened again in your teaching career. But those moments we think, actually, what could we do differently? How could we kind of phrase that slightly differently? How can we change our wording to make sure that we get the outcome that we're looking for from that situation? And linking back to the expectations thing, having a really clear, being able to give really clear, explicit instructions to to pupils. So, you know, instead of like, okay, it's lining up, time off we go, because we know that well, that can be right. <laughs> Just like that. Whereas it's like, you know, okay, we're back to line up now, so we're going to stand up where we are, we're going to walk quietly to the door we're going to stand one behind the other facing the right way and I remember the first time I taught in EYFS at reception it took me three weeks of training together <laughs> to be able to get into the line move to the hall staying in the line and not just dispersing all over the place they don't know what a line is down. no I know facing the right way in assembly I, on the third week when I finally got I was like yes, come on it's a win it is a win it is but it's about kind of having somebody there to kind of help talk you through it. Okay, you know, think about those those expectations. What did you want them to do? Okay, let's break that down. What do they have to do in order to be able to achieve that? Okay, so these are the steps you want them to take. Anything else we need to clarify about that? How noisy do you want it to be? Or, you know, are you happy with a bit of noise? Or how do you want them moving? Let's make it really clear. So it's, again, you're acting as that coach just to help guide them through it. But it's about getting it from them really getting to understand it because if you give them a process to go through it's easy for them to replicate whereas sometimes as a mentor and there are times when you have to say actually you need to do this because there's you know safeguarding issues or that have to just be no this is just the way you have to do it here but equally there are times when you can give them the opportunity to have that full ownership so actually then you're creating something that's going to continue to build over time they've got that skill and that strategy then to move forward with yeah Yeah. oh that's great we talked about earlier on feeling like your best isn't good enough. In in, in the opening address, you the letter to the reader at the end of it, you said your best will always be good enough. And I just wanted to unpick really whether you've had any advice. Maybe as an ECT, you feel like you're giving your absolute all and it's just not being seen. Um, what What can they do in that scenario? I think it's... First of all, be kind to yourself at this time of the year because there's a huge amount coming at you. You know, we talk about cognitive overload for pupils. Actually, for you, you've got a whole new team of colleagues you are trying to, you know, work out and kind of build relationships with. A whole class of pupils you're trying to get to know. New systems, new policies, new routines, new information is coming at you all the time. And, you know, sometimes just getting through to the end of the day is the best thing that you can do. But like I said, just be kind to yourself. But over time, you will start to feel more kind of in control of things. Things will become more natural. And you'll be sat in the staff room when they use the acronym that you didn't know two weeks ago. Oh, I know what they're on about now. Look at that. <laughs> you know, you've got those moments where you pick up on those things. You'll recognise that change in yourself. And yeah. it's about finding those opportunities. If there is something that you're good at, you're not having the opportunity to show yet. Not taking on too much because as an ECT, there can always be that reluctance to say no when somebody asks you. You think, oh, I've got to prove myself. I'm only here, you know, I may, may only be on a fixed term contract initially. You think, I've got to do everything. I've got to prove myself. But only say yes to the things that you feel comfortable and confident with and you think you are 
you know, you can genuinely add to rather than are going to kind of cause you a lot, huge amounts of stress and anxiety going forward. So it's really being really mindful about those things. But yeah, if there's something that you think actually, you know, I'm, you know, I've got a degree in music and singing, obviously that's, that's about music. That's really <laughs> not me. But you know, can I do a choir club after school? You know, something that you want to enjoy, you know, at the end next half term, is that something I could do? Just something that you gives you that sense of satisfaction as well. And that recognition yeah. that lots of us feel that imposter syndrome in those positions, but particularly when you're starting in a new role and you can see people looking to you being a teacher and you know, your three weeks into actual teaching career, whether you've done a, a B.Ed. before a PGCE, it's a very different situation. You're you're now the person with that full accountability. It's you that people are looking for to be responsible. And I remember starting at, at 22 thinking, I should be responsible for these children. I'm far not the, I'm far not old yet. I'm not growing up enough yet to be responsible. And you do feel that sense of that, you know, it's about reminding yourself you've earned your rights to be there. You've been through the training. You've been recognised for what you can do by the school. You know, you absolutely have everything you, every skill you need, you have inside you. But sometimes it's just, like I said, being kind to yourself, being patient, and you will absolutely get there. You really will. This feels like advice for life for everybody, you know, <laughs> not just ECTs, Andy. Absolutely. But and I'm not going to be kind to you. Yeah, I've got yeah, a, I've got yeah. a juicy question. Can I do, God, do it? Do it. Because you, you explain in the book that the early career framework from 2019 was put in place to improve teacher retention. So apparently yeah. in 2016, 30% were leaving teaching within the first five years, which is massive, isn't it? So my, my question for you is, is this framework working for us in terms of teacher retention? That is a very good question. It, um, I think there are a few teething issues potentially around it. I ultimately, I agree with the principle. There is, there needs to be a consistent form of CPD for those at the early start of their career. I worked in um, a local authority that was a very, a very active NQT network, became the ECT network at that point in time. Very active. We're very on it. I do appreciate that actually. 10 miles down the road in a different catchment area. It was a very different experience. So, and that sort of thing shouldn't be a postcode lottery. It should be open to everybody. Everybody should have that investment in CPD. I think where there's still work to be done is around the workload associated with the programme. I think the very, um, with the ECF coming first, and then there was the introduction of the core content framework for initial teacher training, but that just seemed to be a very kind of just slightly reworded version of the early career framework. I think lots of, People who've trained in their own PGCE or a BA a route are coming out thinking, I've done this already, I've covered this, yeah. and it feels a little bit. And there is a, you know, there's an argument that actually now they're getting it contextualized into their environment, but still it feels it's more work and it's a repetition of what I've already done. And with last year being kind of the, the first kind of full year it kind of ran for the two years, the materials were not always fully there. So it was a very structured set route. The training the ECTs have to follow their way through and for myself you know I work with ECTs that actually didn't always need those bits at those points in time so there yeah. needs to be a greater level of flexibility in that respect that actually this is where you are now these are the opportunities you need now in order then to be kind of building and developing at that point where they are and whilst there is a, a role there for the induction tutor to be able to put some of that support in place I think with the demands of the ECF what it's asking to do I think there needs to be that greater level of flexibility there going forward yeah yeah I agree with that and then also I think we know deep down don't we that good CPD you know once we've had like that a base level set of training it should be tailored to people's strengths and weaknesses and what they need and um you know there's this sort of there's a, a beating heart to it it kind of keeps coming back and you know it's not gone forever but it's but another thing that our more experienced teachers even if they're not mentoring an ect if they've got an ect in their school they need to know about these materials so they know the pressures of an ect and i think what i I mean i was going to ask you this but what's come through to for me today andy is that like your unique selling point because i i talk about unique selling points because You've you actually say in your book, you know, if you're an ECT, you know, going for an interview, you know, before you, at your interview point, um, 
if you're asked your unique selling point in an interview, what would you say? I mean, I think yours, Andy, is just it's it's caring and kindness and, and a deep understanding about how ECTs need coaching on kind of crystal clear explaining that's really come through today like that is where a lot of new to the profession can lose their way because actually everything has to be deconstructed uh, yeah. and predicted for like almost like misconceptions yeah. you know yeah i agree and it's and it's a difficult ask with the um the early career framework as well the work on mentors as well you know the the not the burden, but the workload for mentors going through. And it's having that, that time and that priority. And I was always really lucky. I thought, you know, choosing to have time out during the school day with the NPTs and ECTs that I work with so I could work alongside them during that time and have that time protected because I know how valuable it is. But I'm aware that that's not always the case. And sometimes mentors that work with wear many different hats. Um, you know, at times I was a deputy head, you know, so you do wear different hats when you're doing that, but it's being able to really focus and think, actually, you know, this is my priority at this moment in time. This time is mine to work with this ECT, to be able to support this person at the start of their career, to help them develop, to help them to grow and being really get to know them. And it's about that sense of building relationships again. I'm a hugely relationship-driven person and you know, through that work with the pupils or with your peers, because actually by having really strong relationships with people and having those, and knowing them really well, you can then, you know, have those challenging conversations. You know how best to support them. You know where you where they need to go next, and actually the strategies you can take in order to, to get them there. And I think that's something that's really, really important. I would advocate to anybody, you know, mentoring anybody at any stage of their career, it's getting to know them and understanding where they are and you know, what their strengths are, how you can then build on that. Um, I work a lot with trainee teachers and at the start of the year, we always talk about, you know, we're here to make you the best teacher you can be. We're not here to make you carbon copies of us because it's really important that we use their strengths and, and same with ECTs and actually experienced leaders as well. They need to know, actually, these are my strengths. I'm not going to be the same leader as the person down the road because we've all got different skills. We have to be able to develop and nurture those skills we have to move forward and to be the best that we can be. I really yeah. like that. I really like that. That seems a lovely note to end our interview on. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been really um, interesting. Insightful. How about you, Jen? Have you enjoyed yourself? Yeah. Word I, I was looking for insightful. <laughs> and uh, Andy's book, You've Got This. Um, we'll put a link uh, to the podcast about it. Every school uh, with early career teachers need this book. It's, uh, in fact, it's got so many great nuggets in it. Uh, I loved reading it. Uh, and thank you for being on the podcast, Andy. You're very welcome. It's an absolute privilege to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Real pleasure. Pleasure to meet you both. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That was great, wasn't it, Jane? Love that. And we highly recommend the book. So let's make sure that we can get some winners. So this week's competition, you need to get back to us finishing the sentence. The best thing about having an ECT in school, dot, dot, dot. Love that. Instagram, Twitter, X, uh, at Reading Rocks, at Jane Constantine. You can find us. We're out there. We've got a lot of uh, social media footprint. Uh, get in touch. We've had lots of getting in touches. It's been great. Uh, and that has really buoyed us along. Uh, and Ooh, I'm we've gonna... got some winners from last week who did oh, get in touch with us. Come Shall on, tell you Yeah, would you? So we've got two winners of last week's book, The 100 Ideas for Art by Adele Darlington. So on Twitter, we had Mrs Grant... And she said, art matters because it reflects life. Oh, good one. And then a winner over on Instagram, Steph Kimball. Art matters because it gives us a way to see the world through others' eyes. Oh, that's a bit out there, isn't it? That's a bit deep. Um, right. I'm going to finish on... Uh, 
my little wonder of words from this book, uh, The Last Bear by Hannah Gold. Oh, um, nice. And um, it's uh, it's just so poignant, this part. I'm just going to have a, uh, a read of it. It's about a paragraph long. And it's the moment that April is on the bear's back and they've just leapt um, and they're trying to leap across to the summit. Um, and it's this moment. And then he leapt. He leapt through the sky as he soared to the summit. And time stopped. There was nothing but this moment, this one precious, beautiful, suspended moment. When she clung on to the bear, where bear clung on to her, and where the pair of them flew through the sky, everything was drenched in silence, the silence of big, momentous things. The moment lasted forever maybe even a lifetime. During this endless time, lots of thoughts ran through April's head. How the summit seemed to stay achingly out of reach. How the bottom of the mountain looked an awfully long way down. How, despite her fear, she instinctively trusted the bear with her life. And most of all, how this had been the best, most perfect summer of her life oh so good so good and and in there you know april's having this perfect summer it was better than mine i think um (laughs) (laughs) that washing up but it just that that phrase of like the silence of big momentous things you know that you we've all felt that haven't you when just something happens and it just feels like there's no other noise, um, you know, when you know, an important kiss with somebody you love or you get named for an award or a happy tear moment, you know, that just just before you open the envelope, just I love it. The silence of big, momentous things. Oh, Heather, what's yours? It is cinematic. Well, Jane, I've, I've been feeling like I've been tasked with making you joyful, Jane. So um, <laughs> it's a task I'm taking on. I was gonna, I was gonna read from this book, which is called "Find Your Happy" by Emily Hopcock said, but I'm just please don't read that as a recommendation for you. <laughs> You're worried mine, about me. Mine isn't um, a poignant read. Mine's a bit different. So I'm gonna read uh, a poem for you from Smile Out Loud: Twenty Five Happy Poems yes. uh, from Joseph Coilo. And it's beautifully illustrated by Daniel Gray Barnett. Um, but this is a nice, fun way to end um, the, the podcast this week. So this one's called The Laugh. Do For it. those of you who are a bit posher than I, The Laugh. <laughs> are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> it started as a tickle, as a wriggle on my lips. It turned into a giggle, a wiggle of the hips. It turned into a jitter. A titter of the teeth. My face is turning red and it's begging for release. It gasps into a guffaw, into a great big belly laugh. If I whoop any louder, call the security staff. Now it's spreading to my friends. It snickers, chuckles and snorts. If we roar any louder, we'll get a school report. Now our sides are splitting. We're on the floor laughing. We cannot stop. We will not stop. It's threatening to choke and all because of the telling of a wonderfully silly joke. Oh, that is great. Is he still still our poet laureate? Yes. Uh, Children's laureate, yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. Venturing around the country, um, the nation, joining lots of libraries, which is just brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, and he does some great stuff on YouTube. Some, re- you know, lots of, you know, performance work. Just wonderful. Um, yeah, love that one. Are you a snorter when you when you get going on your? Yeah, um... I've got a really dirty laugh, Jenny. <laughs> and I think the older I get, there is a bit of the snorting going on. I don't know whether that's a freedom where you just think, oh, I don't care. I'm laughing. I'm going with it. <laughs> well, um, I've got to that age when sometimes a bit of wee comes out, but. Hey. <laughs> I'm not there yet. 
Nice, no, I so am. I so am. <laughs> oh dear, yeah. I'm not going on that trampoline. Uh, no, trampolines are a no-go for women who have children of a certain age. Yeah, let's not even go there, Jane. Let's go back to the ECTs who are all young and uh, tight. <laughs> yeah, and their pelvic floors are intact. Oh, we're allowed to say bitch on our PG ratings, I know. I'm to cut that bit off. <laughs> oh, it's always a pleasure. I always come oh, in really- such a grump and you always manage to cheer me up. Oh, I do love it. It's been a great oh, it's week. Been a great episode, but I think it's time to say goodbye. So we better do it, Jane. Yeah, do it. It is Heartbursts. From Jane and big love. From Heather. See you next week. See you next week. <laughs>